Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelong Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fae encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Holy bananas, Batman. This one is intense. I don't think I've gone down a rabbit hole this deep in a while. There is so much here. Okay, we have a lot to cover. In this episode, I chat with Tony Russo. He's a journalist, he's an author, and an all-around nice dude. His latest book is called Dragged into the Light, Truthers, Reptilians, Super Soldiers, and Death Inside an Online Cult. The work of this book was also featured in Vice TV's recent documentary series, The Devil You Know, Season 2. The documentary is chilling, and it centers primarily around a woman named Sherry Schreiner and how she ostracizes her cult members so badly they often want to die. And unfortunately, a few of them do die. So I want to give you a background so you know the woo rabbit hole I'm about to take you on in this conversation. In case you haven't heard of it, the reptilian agenda is a conspiracy theory that's been around for a long time. And the idea is that there are reptilian humanoids among us, hiding. And they're the force behind a worldwide conspiracy against humanity. Now, my first instinct when I'm trying to research something is to find out the origin. Where's the OG origin? The original original, you know? One of the earliest places I found this idea was in Helena Blavatsky's book called The Secret Doctrine. And this book references the lost worlds of Atlantis and Lumeria and dragon men. That's right, dragon men, similar to reptilian humanoids, who had a mighty civilization on a Lumerian continent. That was written in 1888. And Helena Blavatsky was a Russian philosopher and a spirit medium who co-founded the Theosophical Society in 1875. The point is, this is not a new idea. Let's fast forward now to the 1990s, where British conspiracy theorist David Icke, you may have heard of him too, published a book called The Biggest Secret, which perpetuates this theme. He believes, or he allegedly believes, that most of the world's ancient and modern leaders are related to these reptilians, including the Rothschilds and the Bush family and, of course, the British royal family. You may have seen the memes of Queen Elizabeth's, like, lizard eyes floating around the interwebs. Ick has given lectures, like, really long ones, to crowds up to 6,000 humans. Or are they lizards? I don't know. No, I'm pretty sure they're humans. Fast forward again a few years, and you have a woman named Sherry Schreiner, who turned into a successful online prophet and who had the brilliant idea to tie this reptilian agenda with Christianity. So those aliens were now Satanists, and she was the direct line to the divine who could teach you how to save yourself from the evil in this world. One of her ways of doing this was with Oregon, which you'll need to understand a little more before we get into the interview. Hold on to your butts. I'm almost done. Oregon was discovered by a man named Wilhelm Reich. Then we have Don Croft. Croft creates these organite pucks, right? Just imagine that they're these little pucks lined with copper and crystals and sometimes aluminum, different things, different metal inside, like a resin. And here's what Tony says about them. If Croft had tried to become a sole provider, people would have lost interest quickly. By encouraging a new marketplace, Croft created a built-in supply and demand cycle where people would buy or make organite relics, throw them into the woods, and buy or make more. The market exploded. People from all over the world started gifting organ and basking in the online glory of praise from what came to be called the etheric warrior community. 
after the Twin Towers strike on 9-11, Croft gained more influence and popularity as people sought new protections and weapons against shadowy threats they knew were out there, but they couldn't define. The etheric warriors had a quasi-MLM structure, with the more popular producers referring requests to lower ones on the totem pole. Don Croft is this guy who's like, oh, sweet, I'm going to take this organ idea and I'm going to get rich making this etheric community and it's going to be awesome, right? Sherry is seemingly a bona fide hustler and she says, I like that Don Croft's idea and it fits right in with my reptilian agenda and Christian thing that I got going on. And she takes over this organite thing and does the same thing that the Crofts do. Now, the Crofts had a little bit of a different idea. They wanted to protect the planet and its people from harmful technology. Sherry says, all right, I want to weaponize these things for the coming war of Armageddon. We also talk about Stephen Mideo. And sadly, he was one of the hardcore Shriner followers who died. Even though his girlfriend seemingly pulled the trigger of the gun, Stephen was pretty much losing his mind the weeks before his death because of Sherry Shriner. We also reference Kelly, I believe it's Pingilly, who killed herself because she believed in Sherry Schreiner's rhetoric. So Tony's a skeptic, and he's an atheist, and as a journalist, he is looking for facts. I appreciate his skepticism and his aim to be objective and scientific. In this conversation, I push him on his beliefs, and I ask him about topics like aliens, the Illuminati, and ghosts. Eventually, I squeeze a little bit of woo out of him. And it's actually not that hard. He's more woo and more witchy than he thinks. I think it's important to have skeptics on the show, even if I don't agree with them 100%. For the record, Follow the Woo doesn't support cults or cultic behavior by any human, so-called prophet, or any group, period. I'm following my curiosity here so I can understand the story more and to maybe find some truth. But ultimately, the Age of Aquarius teaches us again and again that the truth is not out there. It's not in Sherry Shriner's Facebook group or David Ick's sold-out arenas. It's inside. And as far as I understand, Tony and I agree on that. You may have relatives or friends who, within especially the last four years, have been a part of, have been interested in, or obsessed with QAnon or other online cults. Maybe even... Sherry Schreiner and David Ick. It is happening everywhere. I'm here as the host of Follow the Woo to find the truth of the story, to create a space for people to share what they believe is true, but also to clear out movements and ideologies and people that are toxic. Not all woo is created equal, okay? All right, here's one more quick excerpt from the introduction of Tony's book, Dragged into the Light. Anthony Warner the 2020 Nashville Christmas bomber, who espoused many of the beliefs I'm about to discuss, was reported to have written, quote, they put a switch into the human brain so they could walk among us and appear human, unquote. It's a description of the reptilian conspiracy, espoused by the people I've dubbed the Shrinerites, nearly down to the word. I watched a conspiracy theory-driven mob take over the U.S. Capitol, I imagine, the way a true prophet might see their vague notions solidify, shadows of inklings emerging from the gray. Worse, I saw, and still see, the ripples, the obvious responses and reactions, finger-pointing and think-piecing about how the internet breeds these beasts. I'm here to tell you that the internet doesn't breed monsters any more than a coop breeds pigeons. We breed the monsters. The internet just lets them thrive. And as we wring our hands about what the internet does, as if it has volition, we avoid responsibility. We avoid the truth. It kind of worked out that we're talking at this time because I got to watch the whole documentary series. Oh, how exciting. Yeah. Did you, you've seen it? I, I assume. I have not. I did not. I decided I was going to wait until it was all over and then just take my medicine all at once. But I haven't had the <laughs> yeah. opportunity to do it. <laughs> I thought you did an excellent job. And 
I was pleasantly surprised by how often you are referenced in the documentary. I mean, you're in every episode a lot. Yeah, that's why I stopped watching. (laughs) (laughs) I was as surprised as you were. I I could talk to you for probably like a day, especially after the documentary. I mean, I was just kind of taking notes as I was watching because there's so much about Sherry Schreiner I did not know Mm. first. And she was kind of one of the origins of the reptilian agenda. Well, if we could call it the Christian reptilian agenda, then yeah, then I'll go with that. I mean, the the idea of the reptile agenda is an old one. That's kind of half what L. Ron Hubbard has going on. But the idea that the reptilians were actual minions of Satan, if it wasn't her, she stole it early on from whomever she did steal it, because I found it pretty unique to her, especially the way that she had it working. I did some research after I watched the documentary series, and I noticed that David Ick, he started in the 90s with the reptilian shit. Mm-hmm. But again, like you said, it's a different angle. And that's what made it catch on. Like the being able to tap into Christianity was critical for Sherry. Um, if she doesn't tap into Christianity, she doesn't really have a foothold. There are a couple things she did. The Orgone was the big one, and then the reptilians and the Bible codes. Mm-hmm. Those three things really gave her a very specific niche and a very powerful one. I want to do now an, a follow-up episode just about Orgon because that actually has a fascinating past as well. If you just were to dissect where that originated from, and I'm actually right now during this interview, I'm wearing an Orgon necklace. I ordered one. I had no idea at the time. You have one too? What I is do that? have one too. How could I not? Amazing. This is made, I think, by the same person who made Kelly's. It's similar to Kelly's, but a little different. But I felt like I needed one. So, yeah, you were pretty steeped in all that. So I have to kind of take a second here and figure out how I want to start because there's so many places to go. And you could just I mean, they made a whole six part series about just Sherry Schreiner. And I wrote a book that was, I think, maybe a little bit more detailed. It's there's so much. Is that dragged into the light? Yeah, the book and the documentary tell the same story, I think from two different perspectives. I think it's very Rashomon-y. What is Rashomon-y? There's a movie called Rashomon, and that was the first movie where they told one story from four different perspectives and four different things happened. I think there, we both used the same evidence, and I think we came to different conclusions, related conclusions for different reasons. And I think they were probably just ideological reasons on everybody's part. Right. Um, I wanted to make it more about the influence of religion. And I think they wanted to make it more about the influence of the internet. I wanted to make it less about that people were suffering from mental illness because, again, I think that's secondary. The, the thing that I'm always going to think about is, you know, people are like, you're getting this stuff served to you on the internet. Yes, but the internet doesn't grab you and make you sit down. You're searching. Mm-hmm. And it's the searching that's more a concern than what's being found. I right. Think. And for how long has religion been an incredible force for control over the masses? Right, right. And yeah. for personal control and, and not always for good. And the internet has just ramped that up. It's really just an amplifier, like an antenna thing. Well, internet as a whole, it seems like what you're saying is the problem is the people. It's not necessarily all of the stuff that's out there. The people are the ones that are intrinsically fucked up and they're searching for something. And it just so happens that it's out there. Absolutely, That is the thesis of my book and of my life. Interesting. Yeah, I think that we don't know how to ask questions. And I don't think that we're willing enough to be wrong. I always like to say to people, what was the last time you said to someone, you know what? I am totally wrong about that. And if it hasn't been in a week, you might be an asshole. That's like a great test. (laughs) (laughs) Very simple. Yeah. Because if you have an answer, if you have a fact for everyone's counterfact, you're not paying attention and you're not learning. Yeah, you're not listening. You'd rather feel right than be right. And I would always rather learn than be right. Right. You're prioritizing being right over being kind. Right. 
all the time, which of course everybody does that. But I mean, there's, you know, percentages, like if it's 90% of the time, then you fucking suck. Yes. So you spent four days on this Vice documentary. How did you get to where you were in the position to be the expert on reptilian cults and conspiracy theories? I was writing what was going to be a podcast series. And for long, boring reasons, I ended up leaving the project. But I said, you know, do you care if I take this Sherry Shriner stuff with me because it started off as like a minor transitional piece. And I really thought that's all it was going to be. And then I got in touch with some of Kelly's friends and I finally got the evidence from the trial, the audio evidence. And those two things turned this story for me from a minor detour on the conspiracy, larger conspiracy work that I was working on and became like the focus of everything. And mostly I was working on a different cult, but the process was kind of the same. So I knew a lot of the conspiracy stuff going in. And then I, I say this in the book, so it's always weird to say out loud, but a colleague of mine said, hey, have you seen this Sherry Schreiner thing? And I got sucked in pretty easily. Once I got the tapes, I mean, the tapes are so compelling. Of um, her speaking. Well, no, the tapes of her speaking are on the internet and are more or less compelling. Stephen Minio recorded everything he said on Facebook. He sent things via Facebook audio message. And so as a result, I hear him essentially getting driven to the edge over the course of like, I don't know, 20 hours of tape or something like that. Wow. And it was just... So riveting. And then the only question is, like you were saying before we started, like, okay, where do I start? Like, this book was twice as long <laughs> when I wrote it. And the people who were kind enough and brave enough to read it for me said, it's too much. It's too much stuff. It's too bananas. People are putting out books today on just the reptilian conspiracy, <laughs> right? So to try to get people where they understand the reptilian conspiracy fully so that I can explain the other things was too much to do. And so yeah. I, I narrowed and narrowed and narrowed it. But that's kind of how I got into it. I had been working on this podcast and I left the podcast and started the book. One day, one of the vice producers called me. And so we traded information. And more important than that, I had someone that I could talk to about. It was like, you know, we spoke the Shriner language. So you are a journalist first, and now are you going to continue on cults and conspiracies for as far as you can see? I, I would love to not. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't think there's a lot more that can be said. And so the question is really more about debunking. And I don't know if that's the project I want to be on. If you've come to believe that the president of the United States is a reptile, you're not missing facts, right? You don't mm -hmm. need one more fact. You don't care about that. That's an internal belief that, like any other religious belief, is rooted to something that doesn't have to do with fact. And so digging up facts about why this is not true just seems like a fool's errand to me. I mean, I would like to convince you otherwise, but I'm not going to use facts to do it. You're a journalist. You're specializing in cults at the moment. You don't want to be there forever. Are you an atheist? I, I am absolutely an atheist. And I want to tell you about maybe the most insidious and beautiful speech I ever heard. It was given by a Buddhist monk. And it was beautiful and horrifying. And I'm not going to even give a glance at repeating his words. His idea is he was a Zen Buddhist monk, right? He's like, Yep, you'll come around. Like whatever you do, yeah, you're supposed to do that. You'll get there. Yep, Buddha's. I think his thesis was the Buddha is a piece of shit or the Buddha is a shit stick or something like that. And he had this kind of really like, yeah, no, I know that I'm right. We're all circling around. You haven't figured it out yet? Fine. I'm going to still try to be nice to you. And so I've taken that approach to spirituality because I think it is useful and important. I think that it can be a beautiful human endeavor. I think if it's going to make you mean, you're doing it wrong. I want to be aggressive, not against the people, but about the mean ideas, right? I'm not going to have a conversation about whether gay people are human. Again, facts aren't going to help you. If you're that broken, I'm not going to get you to believe facts because your belief isn't in facts. Facts are wildly unpopular right now. It's very sad. <laughs> 
It's not just that they're widely unpopular. I really think that we have this kind of anti-intellectual bent. That's part of, I guess, what we think of egalitarian life as, right? And so I think that people are like, well, he's an expert, but he's just another guy like me. Mm -hmm. And I'm an idiot. We want to believe what we want to believe. And if the facts won't get us there, then we're not going to believe the facts. And if the facts do get us there, then we're going to believe them. I don't want to spin way out of control on Orgone, but, you know. But we could. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know we could. (laughs) I could do a book on Orgone. But Wilhelm Reich had enough facts that he stopped looking, Mm. right? And he was convinced. And they're like, well, no, yeah, these are your facts, but these are why your facts don't work. And he's like, well, you're wrong. I mean, this could have been one of the great scientists of his time. Like this wasn't some schlub, right? He wasn't selling snake oil. I mean, he ended up selling snake oil, but he didn't set out to sell snake oil. And then the facts stopped adding up and he stopped pursuing his main goal, which was to figure out how to solve sexual repression and slid into this other goal, which is to feel out how to sell his orgone boxes. It sounds like you're open to respecting other people's views and practices until they get violent or unkind to others. The, the reason I told you the, the Buddhist monk story about my atheism is because, you know what, you're just going to get there. I'm really interested in ethics much more than I am in metaphysics. I'm really much more interested in how we behave toward one another than whether or not and how the universe was started and what rules it comes with. You know, we'll leave the rules it comes with to the physicists for the most part and the people who do ethics figure out how it would be best to behave toward one another. Do you participate in any quote unquote woo practices? Do you meditate? Do you do yoga? Oh, this is the great big reveal. I am part of a spirit guide book group. We are currently reading how to meet and work with spirit guides. So my daughter is a witch and it's her book club and I wanted to participate and I can participate because I don't want to be the guy who's always sitting in the corner saying, well, yeah, but you know, that's not true. Well, yeah, but you know, that's not true. You know, just what are the implications? What are the implications of paying so much more attention to nature that you feel you see it better? There is a woo aspect to that and there can be a woo aspect to that, but You can turn that on and just say, yes, everything is connected. And if I pay close enough attention, I can see it. And there are all sorts of ways of doing that. Your practices ought to be literally between you and your community. And Mm -hmm. obviously not violent, you know, not cultish. But once you do more than suggest to the community beyond you that they should respect your practices in such a way that it changes their lives. I don't accept that. I don't like it. Let's say they want to open a bar. They're like, well, we don't allow bars within a hundred feet of churches. And of course I want to say you shouldn't allow churches within a hundred feet of schools, but we leave that part out. But that is where your practice is offensive to my ability to live my life. And that I don't find acceptable. And so I'm always going to come out very, very hard against pretty much every kind of Christianity. I was originally working on a cult that I'm not going to work on that originated in the Pacific Northwest. It still operates in the Pacific Northwest. It's a popular name. It was investigated in the 80s and the 90s. It's investigated every couple of... Uh... And you can't tell me? Yeah, I mean, I can. It's it's called the, the Ramtha School of Enlightenment. Oh, yeah. Ramtha. Yeah. That's Jay-Z Knight, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Is she still alive? If she died, no one would believe it. So I'm going to go ahead and say yes. (laughs) I want to do an episode on her. Oh, my gosh. But go continue. I want to know what you're saying. Oh, I could talk about her. I just couldn't. I don't. There's they're like L. Ron Hubbard people. They're so litigious. It's just I've spoken with children who were abused in the cult. And I'm trying to write their story. But I'm not going to bother with Ramtha because I don't want to spend my golden years in court. And that's the thing. I don't want to save people who don't want to be saved. You know, right. if, if the kids who were abused in this cult, if I can tell that story, I would be, I'd be honored to. 
what's happening right now with conspiracy theories in the spiritual community. There's a lot happening to where even right now, yoga studios are having to put it like in the bio of their social. Like, uh, guess what? I'm not into QAnon. Right. We're not going down this rabbit hole. And it's kind of a whole new thing that hasn't happened before because it used to be, and they mentioned this in the documentary too, the Vice documentary, kind of like, oh, well, fringy people believed weird shit. Now it's like, no, politicians on the left and the right, spiritual woo-woo people have gone bye-bye. We don't even know where they are anymore. <laughs> and yogis who you think are these very pure practitioners are totally corrupt. And so it's kind of a shit show right now. And you mentioned in the documentary something like this is almost like the canary in the coal mine. Like, yes, some shit is going to happen. What do you think about all this is going on right now? I believe with all of my heart that these are the first people who have seen into the future where everyone realizes that this is the part where I get to be right about being an atheist, right? That there's there's nothing. <laughs> it's very bleak, but they realize that they can't trust their leaders. Their religious leaders are liars. Their political leaders are liars. And they don't know what to do. And as the scales are falling from people's eyes, they're still connected to a brain that needs to be told that there's a bigger picture and that needs someone to tell them what that bigger picture is. I, I know a little bit about the history of religion, and I have a conspiracy theory about that. There's this guy, Martin Luther, he led to the Protestant Revolution. There used to just be one church, which is kind of the Catholic church for argument's sake. And there's this priest and he doesn't like the way the priests are behaving, right? And they are able to buy sins and things like that. So he goes up and he's like, these are 95 things. And he puts it on the door and he says, we have to solve this problem. And the Catholic church says, no, we're not discussing this with you. And so essentially he breaks off and forms his own church. The problem with that was that the history of Christianity is really, really dicey. This is, again, facts, right? But there weren't a lot of people who could write. So it would be like, hey, it's your turn to copy, I don't know, the book of Luke. And so you write in the book of Luke and you don't like what it says, you can change it. And so they come together every couple of years and kind of sort out what is in the Bible, right? So the church was more about the practice before the Protestant schism. The priests are like, we have all the information, trust us. You know, and then they rape and pillage and all that. But they were the source of divine understanding of the Bible. Once the Bible was in print, it sounds very libertine, right? Well, anybody can read it. Yeah, and anybody can interpret it as well. How is that working out for us? So my conspiracy theory is that the priests didn't care so much about the split as they did about the Bible because they knew that there's built-in madness. Right. And a good religious scholar knows how full of holds the Bible is if you take some of it as prescriptive and some of it as suggestive, you know, and we're bloodletting over it. Mm -hmm. And that is my big conspiracy about why the Catholic Church really didn't want the Bible ever printed or the Mass ever said not in Latin, because they know the point of it isn't in the Bible. And they know that if you think that the point of it is in the Bible, you're going to end up with a lot of religious strife. And now anybody can in interpret any of the religions. Yes, the democratization of information is fantastic. We haven't democratized wisdom or knowledge much yet, though. And you need that, too, I think. Yeah. When you were talking about your book club, the spiritual guides, yes. other than being in that book club, do you have any practices that you do that might be considered the, woo? The closest other thing I've come to is what I'd like to call ancestor worship, but it's a made up ancestor worship that I do. I'm 50. And increasingly, I'm like, well, you know, what would my grandfather have thought of this? And what would my dad have thought of this? What would my grandmother have thought of this? And making sure that I tell their stories is important. And when you see in these movies, you know, I call upon my ancestors or whatever, you know, I remember this story about that time that my grandfather was in a situation like that. And he said he wished he had done this. You know, that's calling on your ancestors and it can be woo, but it, it doesn't really have to be. But either way, I think it's effective or I find it effective or at least I find it comforting. Since we're on the topic of spirits, do you believe mm -hmm. in ghosts? No, not at all. I'm not sorry. at all. 
Interesting. I find that one really interesting because I've met a lot of atheists who, you know, they're staunch atheists, but when it comes to ghosts, they're like, oh, well, I I do believe in spirits, but I think of it in sort of, and they have some kind of scientific explanation or they're they're just like, well, we haven't figured it out Energy never gets killed. And yeah, some Einstein thing. So we had a ghost in this house for about five years. I lived near a train and it would rattle a lock open in the basement and the door would open and mm. it did this for years like i that was the closest i've ever come to believing in ghosts because for a long time i believed that there was like a homeless man living under my house but i live in the middle of the country where would and i don't even live in a very nice house maybe they thought it was abandoned but like but it kept <laughs> happening and kept happening and eventually once and this is my knock against ghosts eventually once i stopped saying what if it's a ghost I figured out what the problem was immediately. I think that there's nothing wrong with believing in this spiritual. The, the ghost thing only bothers me because you could keep looking. Like mm. you should keep looking until you find a ghost. I think that's the best way to do paranormal research. Not what is the evidence that a ghost is here, mm-hmm. but what is the evidence that there can't possibly be a ghost here? Like, again, it's just very kind of scientific method. Don't find the answer. I'm, I'm not against there being ghosts, but I never think of them as causal in any circumstance. Right. And actually, that's an interesting thing that's happening in the paranormal world right now is that there's sort of one camp that's really interested in using the scientific method and trying to find actual evidence. And then there's another camp who's trying to basically make money off of scaring people through (laughs) television shows and things like that. I mean, obviously the motives are very different for both of those groups, but the scientific method group, I've spoken with them and a lot of them are atheists. So People just so desperately, going back to the question, so desperately want to believe something. And I, I understand it. It's a little foreign to me. Only because there's so much that you get without it that, I mean, again, if adding it improves your life, I'm so for it. I mean, I meditate. I do all the things. I haven't I haven't spoken with any entities in my search for my spirit guide, but I have gotten better at meditating, you know, and I've gotten more aware. I was out walking the dog today and on my way back, I saw a bug walking through the grass and I decided to stop and look at the bug for a little while. And I'm paying more attention to that kind of thing, you know, and I, I studied Buddhism for a while. So I'm very interested in there's a conception of something called a bodhisattva. Like lots of things in lots of religions, there are lots of different conceptions. The one that I like the most is that when you learn a lesson from nature, you've seen a bodhisattva. And again, I got this from this guy that's saying, yeah, no, you're a Buddhist. You just don't know it yet. So mm-hmm. maybe he won. I don't know. I was driving along the road one day and I saw these two robins, this time of year probably, just fighting on the side of the road. And they were fighting and flitting and fighting and flitting and fighting. And they flit up right in front of a Mack truck and they both got hammered. And I'm like, yeah, that's the closest thing to a spiritual experience I've ever had in my entire life, I think. (laughs) Really? Because it's just like, this is life. You struggle, you struggle, you struggle, pow, a truck. Didn't even see it coming. (laughs) You're worried about that stupid freaking worm. I appreciate Buddhism because those that are really practicing the simplicity of Buddhism without all the fluff stuff and then the crazy interpretations (laughs) or misinterpretations, I think it is very simple. And and it is very much what that Buddhist monk said. It's kind of like, you do it, you experience it. That's your truth. Now don't bug anybody else about it. (laughs) Just, yeah. Just do your damn thing. And that's the woo that I practice the most. Mm. Would, would be Buddhist meditation. It's interesting that you define the robin smacking into the Mack truck as the most spiritual experience you've ever had. I studied a lot about the history of religion. I studied a lot of different religions. And of all the spiritual experience that I've read about, of all the things that are supposed to happen during a spiritual experience, that was the closest I ever came to that Zen smack on the back of the head. Mm-hmm. You know, driving along, minding my own business. Oh, God, that was a bodhisattva. And just remember, keep digging along if you want, but you're going to get hit by that truck. So don't bicker too much. Very simple. Very <laughs> poignant. Like if I wrote that down, yeah, there's not one Buddhist on the planet that wouldn't say, oh, yeah, no, those are definitely bodhisattvas. Yeah, yeah, that was a spiritual experience. So if there's such a thing as a bona fide spiritual experience, that's mine. Hmm. How's that? 
I like it. I like it. It's very different. You know, I've been deep in the woo. In fact, lately I've been interviewing a lot of people from MUFON, the UFO network. It's worldwide and there's thousands and thousands of people who have said they have had alien experiences. And so I've been in the deep, deep woo. And I'm curious because I'm about to segue into the reptilians. Do you believe in aliens? I don't believe that they're here. I believe there must be life on other planets. If there were here, I don't think I'd be shocked. I mean, no, I'd be pretty astounded. I, I, I've got to admit, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, I was trying to hedge it a little bit, but yeah, no, I'd be shocked. I don't want to get too dark, but there is this underlying child abuse issue that I think we're dealing with in different religious ways. Mm. And I know that Sherry, I know that lots of people I talked to had night visitor aliens that would attack them. And it's easier to believe in aliens sometimes. I know that there is evidence. The Guardian did a story maybe two years ago about the connection between child abuse and religious extremism. And, And so it's a really awful thing to talk about. It's a really uncomfortable thing to consider, but it's one of those bells that can't be unrung. I was arguing with my wife and my sister-in-law the other day, and I'm probably right, but they were so convinced that they were right that I didn't want to fight about it. I'm like, I would rather not challenge you because of the confidence. And so if someone you trust and believe in tells you confidently about an extraterrestrial experience or a spiritual experience or any kind of experience, your disposition is to believe them because you don't want to call your friends liars. My friends get mad when I talk about ghosts because they believe in ghosts. And so we we just, yeah, yeah, it was a ghost. Uh, Fine, it was a ghost. I'm not going to fight you on this. I think that we underestimate our need to make these connections with people, to agree with the group, even if you don't care, like especially if you don't care. There's this moment, I think it's on like the fifth or sixth episode of this Vice documentary. You say something along the lines of, you know, once you were in the thick of it with all this research of the Sherry Schreiner stuff, you almost could see how people could believe some of this until you get to the reptilians. The reptilians has got to be a deal breaker. Yeah. And then you're just like, what the fuck? And I loved it. I actually laughed when I heard you say that because you were just like mind blown that people believed this. What do you think was, and you kind of already said this before, that people, you know, people are just sort of trying to fill in their narratives to feel more comfortable, to feel more secure because Mm -hmm. of their leaders, et cetera. But what do you think Like what's happening with people believing in these reptilians, like all of my uncles have gone totally off the deep end. They believe Sherry Shriner's shit. They believe Obama's a Muslim. They don't even know who Sherry Shriner is, but they're starting to believe some of the like cabal and Satanist under the pizza shop. They're eating babies. I was interviewing a lady when Epstein got arrested and she was telling me, how she was working on proof that Hillary Clinton was trafficking in children. She said, but that's been proven now. And she was talking about Epstein. It was so obvious to her and she believed it so thoroughly, even though it's a made up thing, right? And that's how the lizard thing, and this is where I'm going to get as unaggressive as possible, but I also want to be direct. I think if you come up and tell me that I have a soul, that's somehow normal. But if you come up and you tell me I have a soul that's possessed by a reptile, that's bananas. These are people who are looking for something more. Mm -hmm. That's why there's the addition. You don't just have a soul. You have a soul that is either totally good and immortal for God or a lizard or one of the beings we're fighting over. And David Ick, we talked about earlier, he started his whole reptilian jam. He goes on these like long, sometimes they're like day, three day long rants where he just talks for hours and hours and hours and hours. Someone like that, you know, from your perspective, as somebody who's an expert on cults and conspiracies, especially their reptilian agenda, what do you think about the the brain of someone like that other than bananas? Well, I say this about Sherry. I don't know if you can really believe that and function. Mm. I'm saying he's a liar. I'm also saying that Alex Jones was a liar. Picture Alex Jones and he's got this dumb little show. And this is where if you want to blame YouTube, I'll give YouTube a little bit of blame. But he's got this dumb little show. He's doing okay. But then all of a sudden, Hocus Pocus Alex Zam, he is a millionaire with 
tens of thousands of people. And now he has a choice. He can say, oh, no, no, I was really just kind of screwing around. Or he can double down and then double down and double down. Like there's no good way out of it once it's your job. Hi, I'm Alex Jones. Yeah, no, I used to have this kooky radio show that I was really kind of just making up. And oh no, it was real successful, but it was horrible. So I'd like a job at the local NPR station. That's not going to happen, right? Once you're in, in for a penny, in for a pound, right? And I don't feel bad for Alex Jones. I hope he gets eye cancer. But (laughs) right, there's no way out of it that someone without a lot of courage can make. There's a courageous way out, but cowards are tied to their lies. And if your lies are big and popular enough, you're tied to them long enough. So you think David Ick doesn't actually believe? I don't think he believes in anything, no. You don't think he believes his whole spiel? It's all just kind of a machine. Yes. I think that, as with my Alex Jones metaphor, I I think that he may be trapped by it. Mm -hmm. He may enjoy it. But I don't think for a second he believes that people are reptiles. Really. If you're not a coward and you know that the queen is the head of an alien race sent to destroy humanity, how do you not put a bullet in her head then? Like, how do you not? Or at least try. Right. You're just going around talking to people. You're not good at traditional religion. You're not getting a sounding board there. A lot of my book is about people leaving the quote, more traditional religions for the fringe ones because they're not getting enough hate in them. And I believe that in my soul, Wow. which I don't have I was just going to say. In my reptile soul. (laughs) In your reptile soul? (laughs) I believe that down in my shoes. If you want to have a normal church, you're kind of out of luck. Mm. If you want to have a big normal church, you're certainly out of luck. Because you either have to give people more reason to hate or you have to give up at this point just to maintain your church. Because hate sells? I think that's the only reason people go to church. Interesting. I I think they need to be mad. I grew up Catholic, so maybe it's just me. But something that was in the news recently, and actually I heard about it on one of the, because I follow a debunker on Twitter, was this regular event, I guess, that the Catholic Church holds to teach non-Catholic ministers and such how to perform exorcism. And the fact that they do that is difficult for me. But the other thing that I wanted to bring up was they made an announcement that no one asked them about, reaffirming that gays are probably never going to be able to be married in the church, but also probably, you know, evil in some way. That was implied. Why reinforce that? No, we're not going down the gay marriage route. Why tell everyone that? Hmm. I think it's because, here, this is what happens when you spend two years with conspiracy nuts. I think it was because they took a hit in the pocket. They're like, oh, look, everybody's got this, this nice new, quote, liberal pope. And he kisses babies and everybody likes him. And he says, maybe we shouldn't burn witches anymore. And then people are like, yeah, yeah, I know. And maybe gay people could be part of us too. And they're like, no, we have to, if we let gay people in, the old people would totally stop coming. It was like they were answering the question that he posed. Mm -hmm. He's like, hey, maybe gay people are human. And the church is like, yeah, but let's not say they're fully human. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know that I've heard this from people who still go to church when the mask thing became an issue at church. How is the mask thing an issue at church? Like, I'm not going to that church anymore because they say I have to wear a mask or because they won't let me wear a mask or whatever. Like, what are you believing in? Why are you going? Mm -hmm. If you're going to get mad, stop. And if you're not getting enough mad, then there are people on the internet who are so happy to make you madder. And they're so happy to stoke your outrage. And they're happy to give you facts that you can hit other people with as you walk around on the street and let them know that they're mistaken about everything all the time. Are you familiar with Hillsong, the megachurch? No, I'm familiar with megachurch. It's a popular megachurch. It's kind of, I call it the hipster megachurch. They've sort of rebranded some old Christian ways with a plaid shirt and a beanie kind of thing. Uh-huh, right. They've come to the States and Justin Bieber's part of it. Recently, some of the pastors have gotten in trouble for all kinds of things. What's the difference between something like Hillsong and a cult? Or is there a difference? I think the main difference is if you're afraid to leave or if you're incapable of leaving. Like there are some cults like in the Pacific Northwest, when you go up there and you have to live there, when you leave, you just leave with the shirt on your back. And so all my friends are here, all my family's here. Churches are like that already. Like it's the rare family where they all get up on Sunday morning and drive to different churches. (laughs) 
Right. Right. <laughs> but we would think that was weird because churches are like little together things. They're like these little pockets. And I think for a lot of people, the being together is more important than the churchy part of it. Hillside? Hillsong. Hillsong. You said beanies, so they're like a, a Jewish Christian kind of thing? I think they're Pentecostal, but not like the snakes and shit. You right, know? right. But they go on Saturdays and that kind of thing? No. I think uh, it's Sunday. Well, but that's the thing. So there are a lot of Christians who go on Saturday. For example, take oh, Sherry Schreiner. She didn't believe in most of the New Testament. And part of that is they go to church on Saturday when God told them to go. But the idea behind this switching days is, again, is this mistrust and probably well-placed mistrust. Like they believe that Paul, the apostle who wrote a good chunk of the Bible was working for the devil. And there's no evidence that he wasn't. I don't know if you know the story of Paul, but he wasn't an apostle. He showed up late. He was minding his own business one day and God struck him blind and said, stop persecuting me. And Paul said, okay. And then he became a Christian preacher for the rest of his life and wrote most of the Bible. But he never met Jesus in person is kind of the point. Mm. And so Sherry and a lot of the older time religion, they don't count anything that Paul wrote as part of what they have to believe as Christians. He's one of the ones who said you can eat pork. So if they don't eat pork, they don't believe in Paul. If they do eat pork, they do believe in Paul, unless they're vegetarians. And then it's neither here nor there. <laughs> then, you, then you have to ask more questions. Okay, so the defining characteristic of a cult right, is, is you're trapped. You're trapped. And if you leave, there's some kind of major repercussions. Is there usually, I, I've sort of noticed with like the Moonies and Yogi Bhajan and Sherry Schreiner, there's also a financial element, Scientology, mm -hmm. you know, you get roped in financially in weird ways. I think Sherry's is the most honest of the scams because there wasn't a buy-in at all. She went right to her Baptist roots and just said, yeah, no, you can have all this information for free. If you don't want to support my ministry, you don't support it, but, you know, Orgone's expensive. And if you don't send me money, I can't make as much Orgone. And, you know, who knows what'll happen then. Sherry made a significant amount of money, but she didn't have her followers financially locked in. Like they could stop whenever they wanted. There's one guy, I don't believe he's in the documentary, Mike Hall, and he was a huge donor and she kicked him out anyway. She was tied to a couple of super major donors, Beverly Nelson and Marianne Malloy. They were significant players. And also her daughter, who was kind of taking over the operations, had say in who got kicked out. And the one thing you can say about her, she would cut loose a donor if she thought it would stir the pot enough and make people feel like she caught another spy. Like she was constantly catching spies and everyone believed it until they were the spy that got caught. I literally just got an email from a woman who wouldn't talk to me before the documentary. She made some accusations that I'm certainly not repeating on tape. But the idea is that Sherry didn't lock them in monetarily. She locked them in by the regular church methods. Like once you say that she's the daughter of God, and then you can't say, well, I'm going to go listen to someone else, right? Because why would you? Why would you? She, she's got the direct line. You, you're getting the truth here. And you, you're afraid of being cut off from the truth. Essentially banished to hell. You go down the rabbit hole a lot in these yes. investigations. Do you ever question your beliefs? I mean, I, do you ever have a second where you're like, oh, shit, maybe that part is true? I don't. I'm very... <laughs> I don't. I'm sorry. I'm very locked into the kind of Buddhist thing. I'm always looking for connections. And I'm always looking for connections that can teach me about something. I don't believe there's a teacher. I, I believe that there are lessons to be learned, but the lessons come from your willingness to learn them and your curiosity in investigating them. And you don't need anyone to leave clues for you. You can say this is a clue and we can agree that it's a clue. And I don't care who you think left it. As long as we agree that this is a clue and the clue is don't bicker and get hit by a Mack truck. Like if we can agree that that's a clue, I'm not going to go to the mat with you over who sent that clue to me. I don't think it matters. I think it's 
pointless to worry about who sent the clue. If you're just looking for clues about how to be better, do that. The woo people are the closest to the people who who do that without any kind of, you know, like you say, you have to endure some really fringe speech when you're out and among the woo for an extended period of time. But again, it's harmless and it's positive in my experience. In your experience, yeah. Generally speaking, I think there's definitely some side streams and some <laughs> that get a little more negative and I think detrimental. But yeah, I agree with you. I think of spirituality and the woo as something that's positive. And I think when we get really rigid and specific, that's when it gets negative and harmful. I second that. Back to if you believe any of the stuff down the rabbit hole. One of the central themes is the Illuminati, Mm -hmm. or sometimes it's not called that, but the concepts are... New New World Order. I call them the MWO a lot. Yeah. Any of that, even just a little bit. What do you think about that one? Absolutely. Well, let me go backwards and say that I believe in evil. I don't think it has to be metaphysical. And I believe that people are greedy and duplicitous. (laughs) And I believe that people commit conspiracies. I'm going to tell you about a horrible conspiracy right now, because this is the one that I kind of keep in the front of my head when I'm dismissing everyone who believes in conspiracy theories as a nut. Do you know there's no such thing as recycling? This is the conspiracy theory? No, this is true. This is true. So ProPublica has uncovered Exxon's conspiracy to spend millions of dollars a year investing in plastic recycling so people feel good about it. But the plastic is completely unusable and they're doing it so that they can sell more fresh petroleum to the plastic. That has been proven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ProPublica. You can look it up. ProPublica is a watchdog news. They're for real. They were the one who found out about the nursing homes during Katrina. They've done lots of good work, good and enviable hard, hard, hard journalism. So yeah, that was a conspiracy. Exxon decided, you know what? We know that we really can't use recycled plastic to make the kind of bottles we want made. But people stopped buying plastic or had stopped buying plastic. So they said, well, if we can make people feel better about it, we can continue to sell plastic and maybe someday we'll figure it out. This is very upsetting news, but not terribly surprising. But But I don't think the president had anything to do with it. It's always 10 greedy people and a terrified person trying to get away with as much as they can. And sometimes they get caught, but I don't think they move heaven, earth, and politics. Exxon thing is, I think, the best example of a conspiracy or, you know, the mafia, right? There are real conspiracies. I don't think that there are global conspiracies. Maybe that's the way to put it. Okay. And do you, is it just plastic or is it also aluminum? I'm so sorry. Every time I have to tell somebody that story, it breaks my heart. I look at you and I'm like, oh, she's not going to want to hear this. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Just plastic. Aluminum's still fine. The numbers on the bottom are completely made up. Oh God. Really? Completely, completely fabricated. Planet Money, I think, did a story on it. That's a bummer. Yeah. Spoilers for the end of the show. They have a guy from Exxon come on. It's like, well, yeah, we we really are trying. We really thought we'd have it solved by now. But he's probably lying. Or is he not lying? It doesn't matter. Buy less plastic. It's awful. So there's organized conspiracies. But what you're saying is, yeah, there's fucked up, greedy people out there doing horrible things. And the the richer ones can cast a wider net of their greediness and bullshit. But there's not a global like, you know, I don't think they meet with one another. Yeah, I don't think any of them have black hoods. I think a lot of them have white hoods, but I don't think a lot of them have black hoods. Truth. Truth. (laughs) Well, we know that for sure. What's the most out there claim that you've ever heard while doing this research from anyone? There is a guy, Don Croft. He invented the Oregon Warriors. Sherry actually worked with him. Sherry literally stole the idea from Don Croft. Damn. Is he still alive? No, he died. And this is the thing. He died in a mysterious hang gliding accident. What? Uh, No one (laughs) says why it was mysterious that he died in a hang gliding accident. But if you're a conspiracy theory person and you die... It's got to be under mysterious circumstances. But Don Croft claimed to have cured AIDS in Africa with Oregon. That was pretty outrageous. Did you speak with him or a representative? No, he was dead by the time I got there. Same with Sherry, huh? She yeah. was dead by the time you got there. Dead when I got there. So, Damn. yeah. I would have loved to hear you interview 
or just hear about your interview with Sherry Schreiner. That's... I would have loved to have conducted it. I was so upset when I found out she died that I created my own conspiracy theory. I have a list of people on Facebook who I thought were Sherry's alternate egos before I found out for sure that she was dead. Like I was hunting dead Sherry Schreiner on the internet because I didn't want to believe that she was really dead. I mean, that's what I was going to ask you too. Do you believe she's really dead? Have you? I have her death certificate. Okay, she's for real dead. The Illuminati didn't print that up just to make me go away, you know? Yeah. Well, at some point, you just, and this is the problem with this stuff. Like you said, you're not going to win with people with facts because they don't want to hear them. Facts don't really mean anything to that brand of a person anymore. But at some point, you have to believe you really have the death certificate. That's a real document. And that's when you have to cut loose from this. But the story is so enticing. And again, I'm I'm a writer, but stories are enticing to everyone. And it's hard to give up a really enticing story unless you have a very good reason. I mean, Sherry claimed that she went to heaven and played with the devil and Jesus. That sets the bar. So the weirdest thing is always going to be hard. That's but, a really good one, though. Yeah. The went to, went to heaven and played with baby Jesus and baby Lucifer. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a pretty outrageous one, too. I can't find any video of Sherry Schreiner. Like, there I can't. Isn't any. It blows my mind. Are we sure she was a real person? Yes, yes, yes. There's a picture of her. Yeah, I saw the one. I think we Um, all have seen the one with the hair. No, there's one on her website. If you go to, I shouldn't say it out loud, but I will because you want to know. I think it's the BibleCodesRevealed.com. There's a picture of her holding a fish. Oh, I've seen that one. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one with the hair is the the 80s one, and she looks Uh a little bit more composed. And then the fish one, it's you can see the years of smoking. And (laughs) she died very, very young. I I just find her story specifically very fascinating. Oh, hey, I would like to break some news on your podcast. Yes, do it. One of her childhood friends reached out to me. (gasps) Be still my heart. They hung out together in the ninth grade and she was perfectly normal. You know, they would smoke pot together sometimes and she'd run around a little bit, but she was just a normal person. But then she got sent to uh, Baptist school. And when they pulled her out of public school and sent her to religious school, she said that was the last time I ever saw her until I saw her on television tonight. And this was a person who lived two towns over. And she said, I had no idea it had gotten like that. I just knew she went to religious school. And then the next thing I know, you're talking about her on television. My working theory on Sherry Schreiner is that she was bright and trapped and she saw through the religious scam. She saw how it worked. The writer James Baldwin actually had a similar experience. He wrote an essay that I love that's called, the whole thing's called The Fire Next Time. I I think the essay might be called Down by the Cross, but he talks about growing up in the church and he was one of these phenom young preachers. And this is a gay black kid in the late 40s and early 50s. And he said that he saw how easy it was to get people to give him money they didn't have because he made them feel hopeful. And he said, he looked down that path and said, I could do this. I could be a super famous preacher, but I don't want to because that's an awful way to be. And I think the same thing happened with Sherry. And she said, what else am I going to do? You know, CNN has not called back. (laughs) That's Um, right. They didn't. Yeah. There's nothing else I can do except use my insider knowledge of how religion works to not have to go to work every day. You said you thought David Ick doesn't believe what he says. Do you think Sherry Schreiner did? I don't. Again, think about what it means to believe it. Like picture that in your head. (laughs) I have. (laughs) And how do you go to the grocery store? Like that's an unhinged person. That's not just someone who's like, oh, I think kooky things. Someone who believes in their heart that they have been in literal heaven and remembers being there with literal baby Jesus and literal baby Lucifer playing together as angels. They can't function in society. That is too unhinged to go for decades. You know, I don't believe anyone who believes that much really does, especially if it's how they make their living. 
sometimes David Ick has an arena full of people listening to him that seem to believe him. What about all those thousands of people that are in that arena? What do you think about them? I think many of them believe it. Yeah. I don't think that they're all pretending. Those people, they're in the mindset that they can believe it and they go to the grocery store and they live. Do you think they're just all unhinged? They don't make their living doing it. They go once a month. They go on Facebook or whatever. They go on the internet and they look at kooky things. They don't get interviewed by Time Magazine about it. They wouldn't because they're kooks. They would be too unhinged to be the spokesperson for this bananas thing. Like, I don't like the idea of psychoanalyzing people from a distance. It is 100% possible that he is stark raving mad, but I don't think there's a middle ground. So either there are reptiles or there is not. No reptiles not having that discussion. So then he's either stark raving mad or lying. But stark raving mad is all I would accept. And the people that believe him are... Are not different than the people who believe the Pope, from my perspective. And that's why I loved being able to write this book. I think the first line in the book is, I want to implicate you in this the way that I was implicated. Like, we are doing this. This isn't 1,200 kooky people losing their minds on the internet. This is all of us deciding that we're going to create our own realities and hope that they don't bump into one another in a way that gets someone killed. And that's all we can do. If we're not going to agree which reality we're occupying, then all we can do is hope that nobody gets killed. What do you think the solution is, if there is one? For people that do believe that Obama is a Muslim and that the Illuminati is a Satanist cabal that's eating babies. I don't think that there's a quick fix. I think that a future without them would certainly have to also be a future with, you know, less racism, like no racism. These are questions of race and class and economics being played out by cartoon characters, essentially. And that's kind of what I was getting at in the documentary. We're all doing it. They're just doing it loud and wearing funny hats. We can laugh at it, but they're the ones who are showing us how things are when you refuse to participate in the accepted reality. And that's a problem. And we have this problem. We have people who are just so politically offensive to us that we can't communicate with them. It's like they're speaking Klingon. My hope is that if we can find a way to be a little bit more equitable, people won't feel so targeted or also so pointless. Insignificance plays a huge part in this. Like the CIA is trying to kill me because I am very important to God and they can't do it. That's a very lonely person who realizes how meaningless they are but can't accept it. I know how meaningless I am. I don't like it, but it just doesn't make me go after lizard people. So there's no hope is what you're saying. (laughs) Nope. That's why I'm looking for my spirit guide, watching bugs in the grass in the backyard. Just try to be nicer, spend less time on the internet. A lot of people in my generation say that many old white dudes have to die, but I feel like they just keep propagating. You know, it's like Sherry's dead, but her cult is still alive and the little offshoots of it are still growing. There's so much fertileness here. Yeah. What what do you think? Did the old people have to die or I've got awful news for you. The old people did die and the hippies gave us Donald Trump. And my magic wand solution for the entire planet by Tony Russo. Love it. Uh, you just let kids make kids help kids read a lot when they're little. And then they become empathetic beings. And then everything else goes away. Well said. Certainly as a writer, I'm always against all censorship of any kind. I think that if you want to profiteer, I don't mind if people call you on it. And I don't mind if people fine you for it. Again, Alex Jones may end up all the way in jail, which would be wonderful without having been censored. You know, the idea of giving people enough rope to hang themselves. And this is where I think I really disagree with the the documentary. I mean, it was really funny because the director and I, we had a very long conversation about the role that YouTube plays in conspiracy theories. And I'm going to go back to my first premises, which is why are they looking? If you want to stop hate speech, close the churches. Well, wow. 
Tony thinks the problem is the churches and ultimately the intrinsic madness, loneliness, and divisive nature of humans. The vice producers think the problem is predominantly the internet. What do you think? Who do you think is to blame? You know, this conversation made me think. What if every human on the planet spent even just a third of the time we spend on the internet looking for the truth, meditating instead? What would that look like? More importantly, what would that feel like? The internet is this portal of vast, fathomless information. But is it wisdom? I say no. I say that wisdom is something you experience in deep meditation and in the warm embraces and laughter we share with loved ones. Not in screens. But I also don't think screens are at fault. Ultimately, we are. We have the choice. Just for the record, I'm not saying I don't believe in aliens. I certainly do. And unlike Tony, I do believe some are here on the planet. I think it's important for abductees to have a safe space to talk about the weird experience they've had. And this is absolutely that space. All right. I highly recommend the Vice documentary. It's so good. You get to see Tony in every episode and he kills it. The show, it just recently dropped, but all six episodes are now available. You can use the Vice app if you stream. You can also watch, I think, the reruns if you have a TV provider. And the link for that will be in the show notes. Sometimes it's hard to tell which episode is the first of the second season. So just so you know, that first episode is called Vampire Witch. Also, Tony's book is Amazeballs. He's a great writer. And if you want to dig deeper into this story, this is where you want to go. His book is called Dragged into the Light, Truthers, Reptilians, Super Soldiers, and Death Inside an Online Cult. You can check out that book at draggedintothelight.com, and there you can find his blog, which is bytonyrusso.com. Per usual, those links will be available to you in the show notes for this episode as well. If you have any specific questions about Sherry Schreiner or the alien agenda or reptilians or conspiracy theories, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com and I will probably connect you with Tony Russo directly. You can probably contact him too on his website. I would seriously love to hear from you. I'm interviewing so many new people like crazy and there's so many more amazing episodes to come. Okay, humans, until next time. Thank you for following the woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow the Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the Order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a Woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 